Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. And good morning, it's Annie from Showreel talking about uh, Australian film industry and things that are going on thereof. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. And uh, also podcast as well as streaming, all the rest of other wonderful technology stuff. Today we're going to have a yarn with Sotiris Dunukus, who's the director of John Ch- Joe Chinque's Consolation. It's a new film come out. It's uh, based on a, f- a book by Helen Garner by the same name. It's uh, about the uh, true crime event that happened in Canberra, uh, a murder. Uh, it's uh, quite a disturbing story, really, and uh, the film itself documents uh, more than just uh, what happened. It's more about a reflection on society, really. It's a, a fascinating film. It's uh, going to uh, be showing at the Nova on Friday with a and a with uh, the director and the lead actress, Maggie N- Nauri, who does a fantastic performance. It's 6.45 at the Nova if you want to catch the film and to be part of the Q&A. But before that, have a taster and uh, we'll have a chat with Saturis Dunukos. Now, um, you, you're you actually from Canberra, so it's, you captured Canberra very well in uh, your film. Tell me about what it was like to uh, be filming a story that was in your hometown? Um, I guess it begins with what you imagine you're going to draw from when you're writing the script and you're thinking about home and you know memory and different impressions of your own hometown from the past uh, intermingle with the research you do then and there. Um, and then, of course, you, you're wondering what the needs of the story are going to require you to to do in terms of how you frame what you know so well. So, in the end, the, the thing that became important was that sense of space and the, that combination of you know a planned city with these tracks of um, of nature all through it, and how we might integrate that into the, the story in both an expressive way but also in an active way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite an idyllic sort of place, actually, on one level. Uh, the, you've adapted a story from a, a very fine Australian writer, of course, in Helen Garner. How did you uh, wrangle the book into the actual film? 
Um, Helen's book unfolds um, as a courtroom drama of sorts in that she's going to court, listening to the witness testimony, trying to figure out you know what happened and why, and then um, there's her own internal dialogue and narrative that, that um, is so essential to the, the book. And what we wanted to do was, instead of representing those elements on the screen, in a sense we wanted to create that as an experience for the audience. So the, the, the viewing of Joe and Anu's story was, was the thing we had to come to terms with in the same way that, you know, Helen had to piece together not just what, what had happened, but her thoughts and feelings about it as the narrative unfolds in front of her. So in a sense, the cinema then becomes like the courtroom in the book. Yeah, so yeah, I understand. Our, so that was her right, motif. Yeah, that, was, that was definitely our... Yeah, that was our frame and our approach to the adaptation. But we, um, we were really aware also of how do you get to that ending, that powerful ending of the book, where it's a mix of this mournful quality mixing with... Um, the shock, the injustice of it all, um, the failure of the community to prevent um, Joe's death. Uh, and part of that was really starting the film very close to Anu and her, her point of view on what's happening in her life um, so that we could also understand how Joe would find himself in a position where, you know, being the person that loved her and lived with her, he, his starting point was, well, you know, something's wrong with my with my girlfriend, I need to help. Um, and from there, you know, as things become more complicated, um, things begin to unravel, including their relationship. Is Was it a cause celeb that, you know, like it's, it's been billed as a true, uh, true crime drama, which of course it is, but uh, hmm. it, it, was it a cause celeb at the time in Canberra? I, I didn't feel that it was. Um, I think when she was first arrested, which was several days after um, the day that she killed Joe, uh, there was the shock of you know a, a pretty law student committing this kind of crime, um, and then people wanted to know more. But then you know things do slow down. Um, the the court case had to begin and then it was aborted and then she had her own trial um so i never felt that it um there wasn't like it wasn't like the city was buzzing no what um, led you to want to make this it. film what what led you to want to make this that's what i'm getting at i guess i, I well I, I had a lot of questions about what happened and, and why and it wasn't until helen's book came out and, and the way she organized those thoughts and feelings um, really affected me, obviously affected a lot of people. Um, and in the rereading of the book and living with the questions that I don't think you can answer about what occurred, uh, in particular the news actions, um, I guess, I, you know, my response and the response of my co-writer was to see those questions in dramatic terms that possibly... You know, creating a cinematic response to this world would yield even more insights for all of us. Yeah, so yeah, I see what you're saying. That was the motivation. 
Yeah, and it, and it's a very uh, uh, carefully paced. Uh, uh, you get this impression of an uh, almost uh, picking up an object and turning it around in your fingers to get an understanding of its complete shape. That's the impression I felt when I was watching your film. Yeah, and, and in, in a sense, there's the cinematic sleight of hand happening at the same time as the sleight of hand of a of a narcissist controlling her environment. Because even though you're quite close to the action, even though it's it's, it's gradually building momentum, um, it's still able to get underneath your defences um, as Anu is able to get past the defences of, of Joe and other people. And, and part of the shock of that ending is really dependent on the, the, the roots of this story being in something very familiar uh, and almost, um, you know, creating these expectations that it, it couldn't possibly happen. And, and that also gives us an insight, I think, into how many of the people that were close to uh, Anu and Joe's life as their relationship was unravelling and as Anu's plan was um, was coming together, why they would have thought, well, look, she's, she's saying it, what she's going to do, but I don't believe that she's going to follow through on it or it's not my place to... It's not my being. problem, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of that would have been rooted in a certain expectation of what is possible. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a social dance. I must admit, when I left the cinema, I was extremely angry because I felt like I'd met people like her, and I started to. And I was talking to somebody about it. They were um, saying that uh, they, they didn't feel like the the film had a lot of, enough punch. But then I left, and I sent him a text saying that I was actually extremely angry after I watched the film. So I thought it had lots of punch. And, um, yeah, and and hopefully it elicits different responses from people as well because, um, mm. you know, trying to locate people close to the action but yet not trying to um, almost pretend that we can um, give a clear insight into what anyone is thinking and feeling at any given time. Yeah, but, you know, the, um, this, this you, you huge know, amount of enablers, all these people enabling yeah, her, her yeah. behaviour. Yeah, like d- despite the difficulties we have in accessing truth, we, you know, it doesn't get away from the fact that certain facts will emerge, certain truths will emerge. And one of them, it's, it's not just that Anu killed Joe, it's that, you know... The people, through their actions or inactions, played some sort of role in enabling her and permitting this plan to have momentum. And, well, it's a know, bit Shakespearean, how... really. I mean, it's sure, a bit Macbethian. Sure. <laughs> and I, I think that, you know, if, if a drama does its job, it's, it's tapping into those horrifying truths of the, the quotidien, the, the, of daily life, the way, um, you know, from emotions we all can relate to, um, you can build gradually toward the, the, the biggest horrors that we're capable of as well. Now, you know, however people respond to it, there's so many things that come into it. Um, you know, uh, I think some people may, you know, as much as most people really connect with Joe, some people simply 
will judge him for having hung in there long enough uh, to, to put himself at risk. Oh, no, I thought I actually thought you... Uh, I, I understood. I thought you did that really well. The reason why I say this is because I got the impression you, you made it clear that Joe came from a loving family. Uh, he would yeah, never have... You know, the, never in his wildest dreams have thought that anybody could have done something like that. Yeah, he absolutely didn't see it coming and... You know, his, he came from a pretty, you know, basic core set of principles that he followed. And um, apart from not speaking ill of um, the, the people that he was, you know, closest to in his life, or generally he just didn't, you know, talk of people like that. Um, he also was not someone to abandon no, a friend right. and certainly not, uh, you know, someone he loved um, when they were unwell. No, no. Stuck around for a long time. No, that was about subverting loyalty, uh, turning turning the tables yeah. on what's true and good, and making them into uh, buffoonery. And the other thing that I found fascinating with, because uh, I said to this person when I text them, I said to them, imagine if you made that woman a new into an, a middle aged woman or an ugly looking person and see if she could have got away with what she got away with. And the thing that fascinated me was that when I started to look up past, because uh, I did a bit of research, I went back and checked, um, and I was aware of this uh, story, but I went back and I checked that apparently Helen Garner was attacked for uh, one, not answering the question that she apparently posed in her book, but also attacking their youthful beauty as if a middle-aged woman wouldn't be in a position to qu- query their morality. I found that fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Helen in the book actually raises that herself because of the um, controversy around the first stone. Um, and she was very much aware of the, the, the risks of that going into writing the, the book, um, you know, just as Matt Rubenstein and I were aware of, you know, being two men yeah. know, writing, a, you know, making a film about... Um, a, a real life person who's female and um, committed a crime, you know, and it, it's not a bad pressure to be under in the sense of you should question yourself and your motives, but at the same time, if you're clear on the story you're telling, you go and you go and tell it, and however people want to frame what you do, it's always going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think you're right um, in, in the sense of you know things would be different, you know, if, if the a new, you know, what was different. Um, well, ugly for a start. Well, by the same token, <laughs> she's probably more of a target for a lot of people uh, because of, you know, the fact she's from a wealthy family and, and, and so on. And I think the important thing is most people, as they engage with this story, do get past the, the viscera of it and get down to the fact that, you know, at some point in this narrative, it's, it's people in a position to, to either help person in front of them or or do harm or allow someone else to do harm and so all the the different layers whether it's ethnicity or or gender is kind of stripped back to to showing people as moral agents and asking you know how does a community sustain itself um, if people aren't willing to take action to look out for each other yeah, I think that's yeah. one of the really terrifying things about the story. I think it, so too. It, re- it reveals just how fragile community is, uh, given our own frailty in terms of um, doing the right thing at times.
Now, I was looking back at the photograph of the real people. Um, it's shockingly, uh, they're shockingly similar to the actors that you got to in the way they look. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, there's um, an essence that if both Jerome uh, and Maggie brought to the role that I guess there was, a, you know, both a physicality, but I guess a, an emotional truth and openness. She did a great job. And a, a, a chemistry. Yeah, they, they, they were. Maggie's a great terrific. actress. Yeah, yeah, she's. Um, I think uh, this is the start of something for for her. Um, and she, you know, obviously, she carries a lot of the film because fundamentally, you know, a person playing that role has to believe what they're doing is right. Well, because she didn't totally seem believe. like a monster. I mean, the reason why I reacted the way I did was because I've, I'm at the AJM and I've met people who have un- uh, who appear on the surface, appear a certain way, but they start to unravel other people because of whatever is within themselves. Um, and, uh, and she does a fantastic job at appearing to be a credible individual. Yeah, I mean, she's motivated by this fear and and insecurity, almost a fear of destruction, self-destruction that can only be averted if the, the world conforms to a, 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 an idea she, you know, feels strongly about. The world must believe what she's saying about her health and people um, almost have to anticipate her needs for her to feel acknowledged and and safe and that's a classic um, mix for the instability of a of a narcissist and a, a borderline person someone with a borderline personality yeah, that's disorder. Right. hi my name's bentley dean co-director of the film tanner and you're on 3cr and you're on showreel and we're listening to a discussion i had with satire Nukas, who's the director of uh, joe Chinque's Consolation. There's going to be a Q&A, a screening and a Q&A at Nova on Friday night, this Friday night, at 6.45 if you're interested. We'll go on and listen to the last piece of the information or the chat that I had with Sotiris. Very interesting film. Now yes, tell me, this is, a, this is a, a real thing and these people, uh, bar Joe, of course, still live. Mm. Um, what were the pitfalls yeah. for a person making a film like this? You know, we, our starting point was all right, is that it's an adaptation of this book that we uh, very much... Um, so it's one step removed from reality in. for a start. That's so, what you're saying? Mm. Yeah, we, we would always come back to the art. You know, the, what, what are the, the questions raised by this amazing piece of literature? Um, and then how can we enrich what we're doing, which is obviously a very different form, you know, you know, relying on recorded media and with all the requirements of that, whether it's me knowing that law school, knowing a lot of the people or, mm. or knowing Canberra, or simply um, our ability as ex-lawyers to, to go back into the transcript and dig deeper or access evidence, how, how can we um, use all of those things to then clarify our adaptation? Because, you, you know, one thing you're going to do when you adapt a, a book is you have to have your point of view and you have to be very focused. Um, well, that's right. And a book isn't a film. That's right. And it's, 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 it can do so many 
other things that a, a film can't do, particularly in terms of scope. And um, you can, you know, travel inward into the author's voice and, you know, outward into the world in a way that a, a, a camera usually can't. So we um, were very focused on that idea of testing the relationship between you know, what it is to be a spectator and what it is to be a witness uh. and what, how that tension plays out um, in real life and what the consequences are when um, that balance um, sees people withdraw into a role such as a spectator, even in the face of real life unfolding before them. And that's, that's what happens with a lot of these friends of theirs that watched the you know, a news plan come together. That's oh, outrageous. Um, it's just outrageous stuff. You know, just just when you, you know, expect people to acknowledge their proximity to a real-life event that could, you know, a real-life tragedy that could be averted, what are they going to do? And we bring with, you know, with us to, the, to this story our own expectations of what's possible or reasonable and ethical, and we... We can't help but have an opinion um, as we watch it unfold. Um, how we think we would be in those situ- in that kind of situation is another matter. Well, you know this title, which is a fantastic title, Joe Chinque's Consolation. Is it Consolation Prize? Look, I don't think there is a consolation for. No, there isn't really. Chinque's, you know, their the, their losses complete and they live with it um, to this day and they'll live with it uh, for their, their entire lives. Um, if anything, it's for the broader community um, to possibly make some sort of mend in the, in the tear in the social fabric by revisiting the, the, the Joe's story, Joe's tragedy as a collective and having a discussion about what it means about us uh, in response, and, and possibly that's a consolation. But I think that Helen's title is, is a brilliant one because it's essentially a question: you know, is there a consolation at all for anyone in the face of um, this kind of tragedy? No, yeah, exactly. Um, what's going to happen to the film? It's getting a release, and are you taking it, it to festivals? Yeah, yeah we, we had the world premiere in Melbourne a few months back at the Melbourne International Film Festival and that was followed up with the international premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival four weeks ago. How did that go? Um, oh, that was fantastic. Um, the audiences are really attentive and involved. The Q&As were, were full. The screenings were full. It was, it was great. And I'd been there two years earlier with a short film, so um, there were people that were already following the... You know my work and, and your development. Yeah, so, that's exactly right. Yeah, what was it yeah, like so, for you to do a film, a, a full feature, after having such a successful uh, run of short films? Oh, it's, it's a different world. But um, in terms of directing a scene and getting through a day, it's very similar. The, the thing that changes is just you know everything that comes with the scale of it. Mm. And uh, one one thing is to be you know second week into a two week shoot on a short, and the other thing is to be six weeks in to a feature. Um, you, you know you have to pace yourself and be really aware of you know how you spend your weekends, um, getting ready for the week to come, and and also how the, the, the pressure can mount 
on um, particularly the, the lead actors because they just have such a huge responsibility. Um, and, and this was a very dense script, um, many more scenes that, that, than would usually be in a, a script. And so the, the preparation uh, for the actors was was critical um, and, you know, how they planned their time. So uh, they were very impressive in, in terms of what they gave the, the story um, and their willingness to go into very difficult emo emotional uh, areas together uh, was, was very humbling. Yeah, because actually it'd be quite hard. It's a very sobering story, so, you know, not a lot of laughs. Uh, no, no, and, um, you know, we're dealing with actors that were willing to go there um, emotionally naked and, um, you know, each... Some of those days were pretty difficult for them um, because they they weren't playing caricatures. They were very open to the truth that each of those characters was defending. And um, at, at a certain point, the play has its effect on the players. Yeah, that's and, right. Um, you just, as, a, as a director, you, you need to just manage that, in a sense, manage it without drawing attention to it because um, you have to let it do its work. And, and let the, the actors go on, on that journey, but, um, you know, continue to direct it back to the emotional ground that is really sustaining the drama. So what type of director are you? Uh, I mean, I've talked to some people who, uh, and this is probably a different kind of kind of uh, uh, script in a sense, but uh, where they've uh, allowed the actor to... Um, Develop, develop the character themselves or, you know, like what, what happens in a scene? How do you deal with that? What do you do? Look, I, I mean, I, I think that at least with this script, we were very interested in sticking to the words on the page uh, so that the actors needed to thread the needle. Um, you know, a lot of what's happening in the film is, is people performing for each other and uh, characters trying to assess what people mean and who they are. Um, definitely one of the themes of the, the film is, you know, the dangers of choosing to believe what you want to believe. And so we were very careful about the words that characters would utter to each other and how they were trying to affect each other. Um, so, And I guess that comes with the age that, that all these people were too. So, And also the place. Yeah. Canberra's very like this as well. It can be, especially a uni environment where um, there was a certain amount of competition between the students, social competition, academic com competition, uh, people telling each other who they are. Yeah. Um, um, that was expressed verbally. Um, but what interests me is those moments, those silent moments between the words. And that... I guess when you're directing the scene, you, you just, if it's happening, you, you guide it and you protect it. You, you can't really manufacture it. But once actors are listening to each other, affecting each other, um, you know, it's, it's, it's about guiding that energy towards the story and um, ensuring that whatever, whatever it is that's unique to that scene uh, actually happens and that you obviously get it on camera, on 
on film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Otherwise it, otherwise, it doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. It's a great moment. Yeah, sometimes some things I've uh, failed to record, I go over them and over them in my head because I think they were so fantastic, but that didn't happen. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Did, did uh, the editing process, was that a huge challenge? Um, yeah, also because we had two editors and our first editor, um, his visa ran out before we could finish um, oh, uh, the edit. And, uh, and, I mean, it created the opportunity to bring in a second voice, which um, was was fantastic, actually, because the two editors have, at one level, very similar, um, a very similar aesthetic. Um, but the experience of the second editor, the narrative experience, was quite refreshing and took the story to that next level where we could distill it even further. And I was always interested in the film playing out almost like a tale um, so that those expectations you have at the start of a tale are completely subverted uh, along the way and it ends in territory that's perhaps more familiar to horror. And that kind of... That's true. That, that kind of passage was um, something that uh, we were, you know, between the two editors, we were finally able to, to achieve... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.